Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 143 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's mom. Today, I have the privilege to speak with Nick and Martha, Everly's mom and dad. I am so excited to be able to talk to them today. And this is really a two-part series, I would say. So today, I'm talking with Nick and Martha. And next week, I talk with Ben and Laura. Together, the four of them have started this amazing organization to honor their children called Just Enduring. The J in Just is for Jackson, and the E in Enduring is for Everly. So over the next two weeks, you will hear about both of their amazing kids. Today, we will start by talking just a little bit about Just Enduring and the hopes for that new organization. And next week, we'll delve even more into it. So for now, I know that you will really enjoy listening to Nick and Martha, Everly's parents. much to my two guests today. I have a mom and dad again, and I love being able to do that. So thank you so much, Martha and Nick, for coming on the Always Andy's Mom podcast. Welcome. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I, you know, I'm going to go back to how we met a little bit. So to my regular listeners, you can go back just a few weeks. And I had on Kyle and Betty, and you know Kyle and Betty. We do. Yes, right. We do. (laughs) And so I met Nick and Martha actually at that little kind of fundraiser, the trivia night fundraiser they had in Mm -hmm. memory of uh, their little baby, Ella. And so anyway, that's where we met. We met that night. And I am so excited to be able to introduce you to my audience and all the kind of amazing things you've done in memory of your daughter, Everly. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's, you know, one of the silver linings of being in this community is the great people that we we come across. And Kyle Mm -hmm. and Betty are certainly some of those people. Yes. And next week's guests, Ben and Laura, are as well. And you've got (laughs) cool things that you've been doing with them that we're not going to talk about too much today because... I don't want to give away too much, but I met the four of them all together. So we're dividing this up. It's a little bit of a two-part episode in some ways, but I wanted to give Everly her whole time. Um, So let's start out and just talk about little Everly. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, So Everly was born in April of 2018. She was um, our second daughter. Um, And I would would describe her pregnancy as hard. It was, it was very different than my first pregnancy. I had a lot more insomnia, a lot of more sciatica. It was just a really hard, 
hard pregnancy. So I was convinced she was a boy because our first was a girl and the pregnancies were so different. And then when she was born and we were shocked that she was, that we didn't find out before she was born. Right. Um, and so we were both really surprised to have another, another little girl. And she as a baby was the complete opposite of her pregnancy. She was easygoing, slept well, just really seamlessly fit into our little family and made us a family of four. Even our oldest at the time, she had just, um, she was about two and a half when Everly was born. Mm-hmm. And she took on the role of big sister very easily. There wasn't a lot of the horror stories that people told us about when you add a second baby into the family. So we just had a really, like, it was in a lot of ways, just a really easy, smooth transition to a family of four. She was a happy baby. And like I said, she slept well. She was just really didn't have any, like. No, there was no issues. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I went back to work um, when she was about 10 weeks old. I asked uh, t- sometime between 10 and t- 12 weeks. I think I went back full-time at 12 weeks and part-time at 10 weeks. And we sent her to the same in-home daycare center that we had been, that Campbell had been going to our oldest. Mm-hmm. And again, that was a, a really smooth transition. They reported basically the same thing, that she's an easy baby, that we don't, she took the bottle well, all of the things she never, we never even had like a running nose that we had a memory of. And then on August 14th of 2018, the day started like every other day, I took her to, I took her to their house, um, dropped her off. And I was, I'm working, I was working from home at the time, even then came home, got back to work. And then at about 2.30 that day, uh, I got a phone call, which that in of itself was a little odd. The sitter very, like, I can't imagine, I can't remember a time other than that time that she called me. Um, even mm-hmm. when, you know, the, the girls were sick or were running a fever, she would just text, right? So to not interrupt my day. And so, so the fact that her name showed up on my caller ID was odd in and of itself. So I quickly answered the phone. And what I heard on the other end of the phone was a lot of, panic and screaming. And Martha, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. The baby won't wake up. And so at that point, Nick had also just for other circumstances ended up coming home early that day from his office job. So he just happens to be home at the time that I got this phone call, thankfully. So I ran to the room that he was in and I handed him the phone. And I think you got a a lot of the same panic, unintelligible words that we were still trying to figure out what was going on. Right. Right. And we finally figured, we finally gathered that she was on her way to the hospital that paramedics had picked her up. So we got in the car and drove faster than we probably should have. <laughs> yeah. And actually beat the ambulance to the hospital. Really? And so we, we got to the hospital. I remember pulling up in front of the emergency room, tossing the keys to the valet and like getting inside the emergency room. And you can see a flash of terror in that nurse that we greeted uh, oh. because we came in hot. Right. And they had no idea what we were talking about. Right. Our daughter's supposed to be here. Uh, we, we told her she was being rushed here and kind of a look of, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh my. So they, they ushered us into a, a small like sitting room off to the side. Yeah. And I think at that, at that point, you know, in my brain, and I, I don't know, this is probably, I don't think we've ever talked about this. Like in my brain, I just kept thinking, you know, they're paramedics. They know what they're doing. The paramedics have gotten her to wake up. Everything's going to be fine. She's going to get here. It's all, it's all fine. It, and yeah. just all of that running through my mind, right? Paramedics, they're professionals. They, they can manage this. This is fine. It's, you know, it's not a big deal. 
and I, you know, who knows how long we were sitting there by ourselves. It felt like an eternity. <laughs> it, did. it did. Yeah. Finally, a doctor and a chaplain walked into the room and just, they started asking us questions about her, just her history and information and not offering a lot of information to us. Yeah. The doctor just kept saying, your daughter is very sick. She's very sick. And I kept thinking, no, she's not like I, this. Yeah. You're, what you're telling me does not, com- I, I can't comprehend this because she's not sick. I saw her a few hours ago. She's perfectly healthy. There's nothing wrong with her. You have to be talking about somebody else. She's not sick. Right. So after they got our, you know, the medical history that we could offer, they, they left us again and yeah. we sat there alone again right. <laughs> for again, what seems like an eternity. And finally they came and got us and asked if we wanted to see her. And they, they let us back, you know, we, we, I remember walking through the double doors into the, into the ER and we turned a corner. And the first person I saw when we turned the corner was a police officer and he was in tears. And that was the first time that I was like, oh no, something, this is, this is really serious. Right. I mean, he was a, you know, he was your stereotypical police officer, big dude, like just, and he had tears streaming down his face. And then we turned the corner into the room that she was in. And all I could see was the top of her head and the, the medical professionals performing CPR and the machines all beeping and all of the noise, but it it was something about, I could just tell as soon as I saw the top of her head that that she was already gone. And so at that point, they attempted to shock her one last time while we were in the room and then told us that they had been trying to resuscitate her since the moment the paramedics had gotten to the house that she was at. um, And they had not been able to get her to wake up at all. So they called her at that moment or called, um, coded at that moment. And the, you know, the surreal experience, you know, we'd already been living a surreal experience. And then it just, it was, I can't even say it was like out of a movie because what we experienced next was just in in hindsight, what happens in movies is better than what we experienced. Yeah. (laughs) It was. Oh, for sure. It was a kind of a quiet chaos. I, I was how I would describe it. And that nobody knew what to tell us or what to do. And I mean, obviously we were in a state of shock, right? You have a perfectly healthy kid one minute and you end up at the hospital the next minute and they've coded her and you have no explanation about what happened between A and B. Yeah. And then from there, it, you know, I kept asking the question, what's next? What do we need to do? And they're like, there were some puzzled looks on faces. And I kept thinking, you know, at some point you all are going to expect us to leave here and we can't leave with this child, obviously. So what's next? Yeah. And and the answer we kept getting was, well, you can just sit here as long as you need, which was, you know, right. Like they gave us the time and the space, which was, which was nice and what we needed, but it was also like, we, we knew cognitively, like we can't, we can't stay here forever. Right. Right. And so it was like, it was very surreal. And it was, it was a lot of just like leaving us again in this room by ourselves with her. And we just kept asking questions and no one could give us concrete answers. And I remember at one point I looked at you and I said, we have to explain to her sister yeah. that Everly died. How, how do we explain that to a three-year-old? And so then you kind of went into problem solving mode and, and yeah. that, that became the thing, right? Like that was the, okay, they can't tell us anything else. Maybe they can tell us how we solve this, this one particular problem. Right. And it's just still to this day baffles me because we just kept getting these blank stares and like, we're so sorry. We're so sorry. 
that's really hard or yeah. like <laughs> here's a pretty book right and the book is lovely but it does not explain death to a three-year-old right and so I, I do I'm a problem solver by nature and so that actually gave me things to do but then it was unraveling all the problems all right okay we, we've got to pick a funeral home what does that look like and what are my choices yeah. um, what am I even looking for in this choice um, at the time Martha's still breastfeeding and, and like how how do we deal with any of this mm-hmm. uh, where, where are the answers on that and we kept just looking for for guidance within this right and at some point too it was even like there was this awkward exchange where we we were going to leave right we we've gotten some answers that we we needed there were things that happened in between in the hospital i don't really know what the time frame was right but at some point we had to walk out those emergency room doors without a kid and was still without a whole lot of answers and we pulled ourselves together luckily our the, the pastor that we we had requested had showed up at that time and she walked out with us but it wasn't walking out with any sort of guidance to here's what you're going to need to do next. Yeah. Or even here's, even here's where Everly is going or what's, yeah. what's happening to her next and simple, you know, I, in hindsight, they seem so simple, but right. Like several, I mean, it was the middle of the night by the time we got this phone call, but no one prepared me that mm-hmm. I would get a phone call from the organ donation bank, yeah. which again, we were happy to, to do and wanted to do, but it was just so like, no one told me they would call. I, it was just one of those instincts that I was like, I guess I should answer this call because yeah. I, at this point, I, you know, my daughter's been dead for less than 10 hours. And I have no idea who's calling me and why they're calling me. And at this point, no one knew either. We hadn't had a right. chance to tell family or friends. So it was just that instinct of like, well, maybe I should answer this call. And it happened to be, you know, and that, that's super time sensitive. Yeah. yeah. So just lots of things that it was almost like it was the first time a baby had died in this ER which it was impossible. It was a children's hospital, right? So <laughs> it was impossible that that was yeah. the case, but that was the experience we had. And so we look back on this trying to dissect the whole thing too of, you know, when you're in a state of shock and grief, you hear certain things and not others. Yeah. So we did an internal, like, what did we hear in that moment? And we even brought the pastor that was sitting with us into those conversations because we're not, we're not looking for blame in any of this or, or, or punishment or re- like anything. It was more just, how do we help parents not go through this again? Yeah. Uh, if we can be a, a, some sort of advocate in that and how do we help others? Uh, because it, it was, it was frustrating, but it, it was also, you know, it, it had to be hard on all those people in that emergency room. And I knew it was hard on the police officers because they told us, Yeah. you know, we, we had conversations later with the officer that was involved in that. And he, he expressed his heartfelt, like he gave me a hug in the emergency room before he left to just express his condolences. So it was looking at that in the entire situation and just saying, what could have gone differently here? There's no better, right? Okay. Because of the situation, but what could have gone differently and how yeah. can we be an advocate for that change? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I know that you, we just got to kind of get introduced through Betty and Kyle, but I don't know if you're aware that that my son died the very next day after Everly. Uh, He died in August 15th, 2018. So, you know, you talking about the CPR and the police and all of that, it just was exactly the same. You know, it's just that my my boy was 14, but Mm -hmm. it's just unreal. And you're right. You don't know... You don't know what to do. And 
I felt like I didn't know what to do. And nor should you. At all. Yeah. You know, I'm a pediatrician. So we have kids in our office. We have a complex care coordinator that helps our complex kids. And, you know, our, mm-hmm. many of our complex kids die. And so at least, you know, she was familiar with a couple of the funeral homes that she thought did a good job with kids. And, you know, and then we asked the pastor and then we show up at the funeral home and they're like, where do you want to bury him? Do you want to cremate him? What do you want to do? And like, I have no idea. I have no idea. Yeah, right. No one thinks that you're ever going to have to make those. No. I had some people that just kind of stepped up and said, you know, this is a really lovely cemetery. Can I take you there? Yeah. Because like. I can't go looking for cemeteries and right. you know what I mean? It's just. And the sil- like Martha mentioned the silver linings earlier with, with Betty and Kyle and, you know, part of the silver linings are the people that step back into your life or that step yeah. into your life. There were people who, who stepped up not only in that moment to help us figure out how to talk to our three-year-old daughter at that uh-huh. point um, and explain to her that her sister had passed and some really helpful um, advice was given to me by somebody else who had lost uh, an infant and was willing just to talk to me. But looking back on those, we had to be proactive in those conversations mm-hmm. because we are problem solving kind of people. And we realized that that's not everybody. And so what about the the mom and dad who really are not the kind of person that's going to pick up the phone and ask pointed questions of others to try to get answers? Mm-hmm. What about the the people in our situation too? We don't have family locally. So there wasn't a rush of family to the hospital to support us because there just couldn't be, right? It wasn't that they didn't want to be there. That came the day after with with folks coming in. But at that point, it's, you know, who's retaining some of this information that's being given and helping kind of put the whole whole thing and support the parents in that that trauma. So the silver linings have been like... Yeah, and I I think back to our hospital experience and there, there were definitely things that were done wrong for sure. I mean, one of the first really difficult things is that, you know, Andy just died on the side of the road, that he did not make yeah. it to the hospital. And yeah. in our particular town, there are, Spectrum Health Hospital has two com- campuses, c- campuses, the main, the big mm-hmm. hospital that has the children's hospital. And since Peter had a concussion, we had to go there. So we all had to be transported right. there. And then the other hospital is the one with the morgue. Mm-hmm. So, so Andy wasn't. Andy was right. taken to a different hospital than we were. Right. So I never saw his body until yeah. days later in the funeral home. I didn't right. get that kind of stuff that would have been sure. nice. Right. And right. I don't know. You know what I mean? I don't know what they could have done differently. I do regret them saying, you know, we have to take you to the ambulance. We have to the hospital, we have to get you checked out. This was a bad accident. You know, we had to go through all the CT scanners. We had to do all of that stuff. But I mean, really, I wish I could have held my boy one more time. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that was done, you know, not well, right? Because nobody knows what they're doing. Yeah. And what you're telling us is, you know, stories that we've heard over and over and over again. And it just, we just kept pointing back to each other and saying, if everyone is having this experience, why why can't we do it differently? Why can't we help? Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I think, again, we recognize, right, that doctors and nurses, and they have a very specific job, and they're doing their job. But mm-hmm. why can't somebody else do the job of getting parents what they need? And yes. or just ask, like, and it's not and asking in a way that, that it's like, 
here's some experience we've seen with other parents. Right. Of, of all of these things, is there something that you think in the moment would make you feel better, right? Like, yeah. there are probably parents who, you know, in your situation didn't want to be able to see their right. child again. And that's perfectly acceptable and perfectly okay. But just being offered the opportunity mm-hmm. is something that we have heard time and time again hasn't happened. Well, it's part of a bigger conversation and grateful that you're doing what you're doing and there are others doing the same thing where we're it's introducing into the the conversation that child and infant death is a real thing yeah. and not something to just be ignored. And I don't think people ignore it intentionally, but who wants to spend time in that headspace if you don't have to? I know prior to us losing Everly, it wasn't a topic we were ever concerned with, no. right? It was the furthest thing from our mind. Well, it's, you don't want to even think exactly. And most people don't, right? And, until you've been through that experience. And so I think part of just how we honor Everly is is having and telling her story and using her story to make other people aware that these things do happen. And it's not just the support that we're trying to give to parents, but how do you support the people around those parents to know what to say, know what to do, know how to act, know how to support somebody who's grieving in this way. I've got another story of something that went terribly wrong. And that is how my daughter was told. So my daughter was home Mm when we were in the accident because she had a violin lesson and she could drive. And so she was going to drive herself to a violin lesson. So she didn't want to go to the baseball game, which is fine. Sure. So we were in the car accident. Obviously Andy was killed. Peter had a concussion, whatever. We're on our way to the hospital. She gets a call from someone who introduces herself as a social worker from the hospital Mm -hmm. and was asked, are you home alone? Which she said, yes. There's, could there be someone there with you? Which she said, no. I mean, we also do not have any family close by. Are you the sure. sister of Peter Larson? Because Peter's the one that was in the hospital with a concussion. And she said, yes. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, your family's been in a car accident. This is telling a 16-year-old girl this right. by herself. Um, and then she's panicking, freaking out. She says, your dad is talking. Because I think at the time I may have still been unconscious. I don't know what was happening, but right. all she said was, "Your dad was is talking. We'll send someone to get you." And mm. then hung up the phone. <gasps> okay. So there she is, yeah. sixteen years old. Yeah. She calls a friend of hers because she doesn't know what to do. She has no right. idea what to do. There's supposedly someone coming. What has happened now, this this entire thing, we were on our way to a baseball game to, to a work event for me. So pretty much my entire office is now in the emergency room with us in a waiting room. Sure. And somehow it got kind of announced that someone was going to go get my daughter from the hospital. And okay. one my medical assistant at the time said, no, we are not letting a stranger go get her. So they called one of the other doctors to go get her. In the meantime, I, of course, have been thinking about my daughter, have called my pastor, and we have already set up for my pastor to go. So he's already on his way, right? So now the hospital person's canceled. The doctor from the office is canceled because my pastor is already on the way. Right. And so it was handled so horribly. My my daughter has PTSD from this experience because of 10 minutes of not knowing. And then the pastor comes and then has to make this announcement, her brother's dead. And right. all of this, it's horrible. But it was just handled the absolute, I like so badly. I mean, we right. went, actually, I, I did get upset about it. And, you know, obviously in those first 
weeks. I'm just dealing with a death. But after it kind of sank in a little bit, we're like, we got to figure this out. Who did this oh, yeah. so that they can be taught that that was bad? And so we did chart reviews of my chart, my husband's chart, and my son's chart. It's never charted anywhere. There's no documentation mm-hmm. of who made this phone call and who did all this. This yeah. very, very wrong thing because i think they weren't right. they didn't know what to do they weren't trained right. to know what to do they had no idea what to do and it just was handled wrong but i mean it it, it shouldn't have happened like this and we do need to help people to know what better to do and obviously the better thing right. to do would have been to come up to me and to eric and to say we know your daughter's home alone how are we going to get this information to her instead of someone taking right. it upon themselves you know, to do that. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, the shocking thing to us is right. It, as you start to unravel everything, it's you, you know, you know that these things happen every day, unfortunately, right? Like you don't want to believe it before it happens and then it happens to you. And then you start to realize, oh my gosh, like it really happens a lot, unfortunately. And so the fact that professionals, aren't trained to how to how to do what seem in hindsight to all of us simple things right like Mm -hmm. that is a a necessary simple task (laughs) right in the grand scheme of things sure (laughs) you know to your point there are several folks like yourself and others that are are doing things um, and asking the right questions and the bigger piece of it is just making it part of our our kids stories right and our Mm -hmm. kids stories being told because in real estate, we use a term that logic makes you think and emotion makes you act, right? We can, we can logically try to work through all of this stuff. I love that. But emotion is really, when you're telling your kid's story, people connect with it, Yeah. right? It, they connect with the, the hurt and things that we've been through. And while they may not want to dive into that emotion uh, of thinking about their child and what could happen, mm-hmm. um, they can connect with you in the terror of that and understand that we have to have more conversations around all of these things. Mm-hmm. It's not something that we can all just bury our heads in the sand and pretend doesn't happen because it does happen. Yeah. And when it does happen, how do we help people through those things? People in our life have been fantastic in supporting the things that we do to remember Everly. So one of those things, like every year on her birthday, we still have a birthday party mm-hmm. and people come and whether it's in a park or at our house, we have birthday cake and our friends and family surround us and support us through that. Every year at Christmas, we are, it kind of started with our first Christmas. And this was your idea. You, you want to talk about it? I, it was probably, you know, Christmas decorations were already out, but that means, I yeah. guess, I mean, it could have been August, right? So right. I think it was like late October, early November, I started to think about like, oh, we're going to put Christmas decorations and we're not, there's going to be a stocking missing from our mantle, right? Like, yeah. and I think that that's a fairly typical realization for parent for lost mm-hmm. parents and so my first initial was like, well, we're just going to buy her a stocking. Like, we'll just get her her own. Because, you know, she hadn't celebrated Christmas yet. She, um, we hadn't had that holiday with her. So, and then I, we hung it up and I started to realize it's going to be empty. And I don't want it to be empty. Like that, having a stocking there is is comforting. But then seeing it next to the other stockings that are full is going to be another, like, blow to the gut, yeah. right? Like, yeah. I, I don't want that to happen. So we started brainstorming how we could do something different. And so we just put out a, a post on social media and just asked our family and friends to, you know, in the month or the weeks leading up to Christmas to just do some random act of kindness or something thoughtful or nice in, in her, in her memory and send us a picture, send us a letter, 
and mail it to us and address it to Everly. And that was also a really comforting thing to get mail with her name on it. I love that. Because, you know, again, something that you don't realize until it happens to you is we'll never get mail addressed to her otherwise. And we don't get to see her name in print very often. We don't even hear it, right? Unless it's us hearing it. So that was a a, a kind of an unexpected comforting thing to start getting mail with her name addressed, you know, her name on the, on the envelope. But then we stuck them all in her stocking leading up to Christmas. And then on during Christmas dinner, we kind of hand them out to everyone that was sitting around the table. And we just kind of went around the table and everyone read them one by one. And just hearing what other people did for others in her memory was, was extremely comforting, especially that first Christmas when we just, we didn't really know what, how to celebrate Christmas without her. Yeah. And it's a tradition that we've, we've continued to do since then. And it's been really special. And I keep thinking people are going to stop doing this. They're not going to, they're, they're going to start ignoring our, our Facebook posts <laughs> and they're not going to send stuff this year. And then they keep sending stuff. Oh, that's beautiful though. And even, yeah. and even people like really unexpected people, right. That I would quantify really more as just acquaintances or, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, someone that I haven't talked to since high school, um, who, you know, we're Facebook friends, but we don't have any other connection with them and they'll send something. So yeah, it, it's really been a beautiful way to keep her memory alive and keep the conversation about both her life and her death present so that we can keep helping people. Yeah. It's been really amazing just to see that within the family too. I mean, our family looks forward to that time and and experiencing that even our, our nieces who are in their early teens at this point, it's something they look forward to and want to be a part of. They want to read the letters and hear what people are doing. So it's become kind of, we've taken something that was a whole in that Christmas celebration and turned it into something that is really meaningful and keeps Everly present within it. Well, and it's just nice to hear those uplifting stories, uh, you know, in yeah. that time too, because it is, holidays are hard. Holidays right. are, are so right. hard and they can feel so empty. So to have something yeah. to give a little bit of meaning and fullness. Right. Mm-hmm. And when we know that we are on people's minds and hearts because they tell us that around yeah. those times. And it also gives people around you who love you a way to show you and express that love that they may not know how to do without it. Yeah. Right. Most people don't understand. How do you help somebody through a holiday season that's lost a child without just feeling awkward and weird? And for us, it was a way to also help guide people around us to do something so that they could remember her. Right. And it's part of their traditions now, too. Yeah. It's nice to give them something to do. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And people want to help. Um, And so giving them something, a guidance on that is very helpful. Yeah, I don't think people realize that as, you know, bereaved parents who've lost a child, you do feel like the time will happen when no one will remember them anymore, right? That yeah. you're going to be the only yeah. ones. And I feel that yeah. way. Right. I mean, and my yeah. my son lived quite a bit longer than Everly, obviously. He lived 14 years. But I feel like there's going to be a time when no one will remember. So when you give them a little yeah. something to do, like I just did on Andy's birthday, because Andy's birthday was just in yeah. April. When, when's Everly's birthday, by the way? April 23rd. Oh my gosh. You know, Andy's is April 21st. I cannot even believe <laughs> yeah. that wow. they are born two days apart and they died. Yeah. I mean, in years, obviously. And then they died one day apart. That is just really tremendous to me that I can't believe that. Yeah. But anyway, we we gave people something to do. And then that's when they say, we think about him all the time. 
you know mm-hmm. i mean even when my yeah. my husband's parents his grandparents they very rarely talk about annie they do it occasionally but to see something written out saying we think about him every single day is yeah. so i mean they don't realize that i start to think that they're not and if they don't tell right. me then i don't know yep. right? right so giving them some of those opportunities to tell you I think yeah. is helpful and good. Oh, yeah. absolutely. It is. Absolutely. And we've done other things. Just enduring is a giant piece of our life and, and Everly's story in that. And I know folks yeah. will hear more about that with Ben and Laura, who are, are another silver lining in our life, meeting them and, and partnering up with them to do something to remember Everly and, and Jackson and those stories. It's it's been it's been pretty amazing to work on that. And we just we find ways to to talk about Everly and all of our lives. For me, it's very personal. Yeah. And after Everly passed, actually three months after Everly passed, my mom died unexpectedly too. Oh my! Word. And I was I was in a ten year political career as a political fundraiser here in Missouri, and in the thick middle of every race that had ever happened. And it was great financially for our family, but it was not great for uh, our growing family and for me mentally. Yeah. Uh, I remember there were there's very little of the four months of Everly's life that I have very solid memories on because I was working all the time. And, and I woke up after uh, Everly was the first wake up call and my mom was the second wake up call when people that you pour yourself into didn't acknowledge the life that was happening in yours. Right. I was spending a lot of time helping build other people's worlds yeah. to realize that I was not a significant part of their world. Uh, and I decided it was time to change that. And Everly gave gave me a chance to take a breath and figure out what we wanted to do next in our life. And for me specifically, that was it's time to put a you know a, a bow tie on the end of this career. It's yeah. been a fun. It's been it's been a ride. I wouldn't say it was all fun, <laughs> but it was a, it was a ride in politics. It was time to go do something else. Yeah. And so then it was, what do I want to do? And I started looking for things that I could have control over, but also that I could shape mm-hmm. and make Everly a part of that. And now I'm, I work in real estate and I, I'm building a team and part of my team, uh, we're called the community. And so our vision really just t- talks about how you support people and how you support people around you. And Everly's story is key and center in front of all of that. And so every time that somebody says, hey, how'd you get into real estate? I get to tell her story. Uh, and I get to talk about how she changed my life and changed my life for the better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I had a ch- bit of a career change too. You know, I yeah. did pediatrics. I was a, I'm a general pediatrician. I still am now. But at, for a while, it was too hard for me to do. And I actually took a year leave of absence. But what people might not know is three days a week, I did general pediatrics. Two days a week, yeah. I did administrative work. I was um, okay. a medical director for a physician organization of just pediatricians. And so gotcha. I would spend time with contracts and speaking to insurance companies and all of that stuff, which yeah. just felt stupid after sure. Andy died. Absolutely. It yeah. just felt stupid. And I know it still needs to be done. I understand that 100%. But I also right. know I couldn't do it anymore yeah. because it just yeah. felt wrong. Like I am not mm-hmm. arguing with you over 50 cents on right. on this patient care or covering this certain service or all of this stuff. I'm not. I can't. It right. just 
feels dumb. Yeah, there's likely a whole podcast around just that right now. <laughs> right. The, yeah. the, the paperwork and red tape around things that happened after Everly passed and phone oh, calls yeah. we got and medical bills oh, and things that we're, we're fighting back and forth. It wasn't even fighting. It was just, what does this mean? And why are we paying this? <laughs> yeah. We had a problem with, I think, you know, I told you we had to all get CAT scans. Yeah. And yeah. the insurance company didn't think Eric or me, one of us, should have gotten the CAT scan or something. And and the, and they right. were like, you know, someone in the car died. Yeah. We're doing the CAT scan. And so we were in like some sort of war for I think almost 2 years right. because yeah. right. yeah. because people told us like do yeah. not pay this. Do not pay right. it out of your pocket. It's right. ridiculous and wrong to pay it out of your pocket. Right. You know what I mean? Your your car insurance should pay for this. But it's just like like the car insurance doesn't right. want to pay. And then the health insurance is like, well, we're certainly not paying. And like, yeah, my son is dead. <laughs> like, right. Why are they arguing over this? Yeah. <laughs> Again, there's no guidance through like, these are the bills that you're likely going to get. Here's the things that are going to happen. Here's what to say, what not to say. Here's kind of things. There's no guidance in that. And again, you, you, there's nothing that you can do to prepare yourself for this Yeah. Uh, when it happens. It, it just, these things happen to people. And yeah. when they happen to people, then you, you, you process through the fallout of everything else that happens. Well, and for us, which I don't think you probably had this, but for us, there was a lot of um, court stuff too, because obviously the person that hit us was yeah. negligent and yeah. there were criminal proceedings and civil proceedings and all sure. of this kind of court stuff. And no one warns you about that. And literally right. on Agreed. TV, everything is always yeah. solved in a 50 minute episode, right? You right. Go, right. There would have been this. It was very obvious. I mean, we were rear ended. We were in an exit lane. Yeah. She was going highway speeds. She hit the back of us. Okay. Right. This seems open and shut. And when the police officer said this might take three or four months to bring charges, I was like, that's crazy. Why would it take three or four mm -hmm. months to bring charges? It took 10 and a half months to bring charges. Right. 10 yep. and a half months. Like mm -hmm. all this time kept going on. And I'm thinking to myself, this is ridiculous. Everyone knows right. it's her fault. Right. Everyone knows. She knows yeah. it's her fault. But yeah, this court stuff takes forever and no one really does. tells you what the, right. this is like molasses you know yeah well we had you know since everly passed in a home sitter there yeah. were things and investigations that were done right. um and we have have heard stories and and been with other families who when that happened in their own home their right. life was turned upside down because anytime there is a passing there is an investigation as there typically should be right those things take time and they come at it from a different point of view than probably us as, as the people that are suffering through those and, and they have to. And so again, it's, it's not that any one person is necessarily doing something wrong or malicious in their intent. However, can we be more mindful of the people who are going through these, the, these traumas in, in hard times? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yep. So, and again, that's part of, we, we see that as opportunities to talk about Everly. We, we've met with people. So we believe it says on her death certificate that she died of SIDS. Mm -hmm. And so we've, we've been participating in different SIDS groups and, and, and listening and following research that's happening, seeing where we can be part of that advocacy and help and interject Everly's story into that, because we think that that's important. And that's part of her legacy, not only changing and shaping our lives, but as additional research comes out and things are, are found, 
can Everly be a piece of helping maybe eradicate SIDS, if that's even a thing? Mm -hmm. And what that would mean to us is, is the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've talked to different families who have lost their kids to SIDS. And, you know, as, as a medical community, I think we do, in some ways, a very poor job because we do talk about, you know, safe sleep and, and <laughs> sure. like, oh, you got to do safe sleep. And almost to the point where when I've talked to other parents who've lost their kids, that that you get this impression like, well, if I put my infant to sleep on their back in a crib, this just won't happen. It's like, right. but it still does right. happen. And, it, right. and we are decreasing risk and we're doing what you can, but it's not, yes. it's almost like people get this impression that if your kid dies of SIDS, well, you must have done something wrong. You're yes, mm-hmm. right. And if that happens in your home or even, I mean, we experienced that with it happening in a home center. Yeah. Right. Lots of questions come up, a lot of emotions around that, surrounding that situation come up and get in, introduced into the whole story. And it's unfortunate that that's even, even part of it. Now we know that there's new research coming. Actually, we were reading an article that's yesterday right. that there's some additional uh, research that's been done around SIDS and maybe it's, it has nothing to do with safe sleep. It's possible that it has things to do that um, it, it's in the, in, in our, our makeup yeah. of a baby could be. And so, you know, then there's hope for that too, that maybe this is something that could be preventable one day. Mm-hmm. It's something that we, we would love to see Everly be a part in, in doing that. But again, I think like a, the biggest part of our life in telling Everly's story is that, you know, her memory lives on. And her memory still um, helps other people through not only the lives that we're living and her brother, uh, her, her little brother and her big sister know all about her. Oh, yeah. We talk about her often and that her story really does affect other people's lives in different ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you touch on a little bit with your other kids and especially your yeah. older daughter and that? Because I get a lot of questions on that. I have a lot of people email mm-hmm. in on, I just don't know how to parent the the kids that I have yeah. right now and what do I do? Sure. And yeah. so if, if you could give a little bit of insight as to what you did, it really might be helpful to some people. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the advice that we finally found um, (laughs) through, again, some tenacity and some phone calls of our own um, was really, um, so Campbell had just turned three when Everly died. She was, it was about 10 days after her third birthday. So we were told, you know, the way her brain works, you just have to be very direct and you Mm -hmm. can't use euphemisms. You can't, you know, it's going to be very confusing to her if you say things like she's in a better place or she's in heaven now, just be very like, concrete and we I, I, I can't explain this to be honest it still to this day baffles me we sat when we sat her down she was sitting on my lap and Nick was sitting across from us and Nick just looked at her and goes Campbell I'm really sorry Everly died last night and she looked at him and just said I'm gonna miss her and got up in her little three-year-old self and went off to play yeah and I can I still can to this day not explain how she knew what death meant that right. it meant that she wasn't coming back. So we were, you know, in some ways we were lucky, I guess, that we never had to explain those pieces of it. But what we did see was the days, probably even weeks following that moment, almost every time one of us walked into a room that she was in, she would look at us and go, mommy, Everly's dead. 
And it was almost as if she was just like checking, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Right. Like she's, this is still true. I think that's exactly what she was doing. Yeah. And, and in some ways, right. It's heart wrenching and really hard to hear her say that over and over and over again. But at some point I tried to reframe it in my brain. And as a, this means she's still thinking about her. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the way we've approached it since we had that, that moment of reframing, right? Like, no, I don't want to hear her say those words, but it's her reality. It's true. So we're going to embrace that that's her reality and support her mm-hmm. however we can and really just follow her lead. And that's really right. what we've done for the last four years is just, we don't push it. We don't, we don't, you know, sit, we've never sat her down and we're like, so honey, do you want to talk about what death means? Or do you, you know, do you want to yeah. talk about your feelings about this? Yeah. Um, it really is just letting her, whenever she brings it up, we ask her, do you want to, is there something about Everly you want to talk about? What, what made you think about her today? We really ask her probing questions and, and sometimes she wants to answer them and sometimes she doesn't and that's okay. Yeah. And I think we've also tried really hard. Again, she was three and three is hard. And so we spent a lot of time trying to figure out what is three and what is trauma. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that was probably, that was really hard to unravel, yeah. but we got some, you know, we got some professional advice right. that it was really, again, just take her lead. And unless you're seeing like really destructive or inappropriate behavior, she's probably okay, right? She's probably able to process this in her own way. And again, that was really helpful advice for us. Yeah. Well, we sought that out, right? And it's okay to seek out that support and know that it's out there. Um, And there are resources. I mean, people, there are great organizations that are out there supporting this work. There are organizations within the school districts that you're in, in the church communities you're in. There are nonprofits that that no other nonprofits can help you. Mm-hmm. And the unfortunate in that is that you have to kind of weed through it, right? Yep. To figure it out yep. and where it is, but it is there. And once we found that, we, we just kind of leaned into them and saying, here's what we're dealing with, help us. And people were so willing and ready to help. Yeah, and I think the other thing that we've been really intentional about with her specifically is making sure that when she's, you know, introduced to new adults, like when she started kindergarten, making sure that the important adults that would be surrounding her every day knew her story before she brought it up. So we Mm -hmm. talked to the principal, we talked to the school counselor, we talked to her kindergarten teacher so that their initial, right? Because again, Again. She's going to be the kid. Yeah. She, she, and she, we, we knew that, right? She, she'll tell a random kid on the playground that she's got a dead little sister. And uh, again, for some people, that's very shocking for us. It's comforting because she still talks about her and she still right. considers her, her little sister, but we didn't want the adults in her life for their first reaction to be in front of her to be shock and awe. Right. right. Like the six-year-old just told me she has a dead, and, and again, she's pretty blunt about it. That's yeah. often how she says it is, I have a dead little sister. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we prepared those adults that that's what would happen yeah. so that she didn't have, because kids are perceptive, right? If you have that like ooh, reaction when they say something, they'll pick up on it and they'll mm. stop saying it. Yeah. And so we are trying to be really intentional to lessen that as much as we can while she's still little. We know that we can only do that for so long, but it's what we have found helps. And we also, you know, when she brings it up with strangers, we we reassure her and, um, you know, yep, you do. That's right. And, you know, sometimes people ignore her and, and and sometimes people will engage her in conversation and it's really, 
it's really been kind of beautiful to, to watch those conversations unfold yeah. when strangers are willing to just lean into that uncomfortableness with her. Go into the dark space for just a little bit, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. And it changes you as that type of person too, when you have that in your life, right? When other people present those situations and you can understand what you're hearing is an opportunity to listen to what they want to say. Uh-huh. And you can give other people that opportunity to say what they want to say and listen to their story. Well, and the thing I love about kids, you know, why I, one of the yeah. reasons why I do pediatrics, obviously, is they just have no filter. So it was interesting no. for me to hear you, you know, when you walked in the room, she would say Everly's dead. Because I started thinking to myself, how many times a day did I say in my own head, Andy's dead? <laughs> That's yeah. all it would repeat over and over and over because I felt like I couldn't really quite wrap my hand around it and I couldn't quite believe it. Yeah. So I would just say it in my head, Andy's dead. But I didn't say it out loud because I have right. that filter. Yep. Kids don't. Right. Kids don't have the filter. Right. So she was right. just saying the things that were honestly going through your own head that you yeah. had learned to filter a little, right? Right. right. And she didn't have the, right, like she wasn't at the hospital. She didn't see mm-hmm. her, like, she didn't have that, like you and us had that, like we saw it, we knew it cognitively, right? We still had to remind right. ourselves regularly, and like this isn't a dream, we're not waking up. This happened, but she didn't have any of those experiences, so yeah. right? Like, it's like checking that, like a reality check, like, yeah, you what? did tell me that, right? Like, that that was that that was a thing that happened, <laughs> honestly. I'm almost a little more like her because I woke up <laughs> unconscious, I turned around. They're 15, 20 feet from me doing CPR, and they quickly whisk me off so I don't see it. So I never saw him close. I never saw him. You know what I mean? It was 10 seconds of watching CPR from a distance before I was just shuffled away. So I think that I probably am a little more in your daughter's (laughs) camp of my brain not really accepting that those few seconds were actually real because it seems right. more likely in my head that that's fake yeah and yeah, that everything else is because, real. because why right. would it be real that's right why would it be real why would it be real yeah. it's honestly it did look like it was something from tv right right it, it, right and, and in tv you do cpr and then they get better so yeah 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 so that that's kind of Everly, or, or pardon me, Campbell's journey with Everly. Yeah. And then after Everly, one of the, the hardest decisions we had was, are we going to have another child? Yeah. We knew that yeah, we did not want Campbell to be, in a sense, an only child, right? Even though she's she does have a little sister, but to grow up as an only child. And so, you know, we met with doctors to get understanding and reassurances around Martha becoming pregnant so quickly. And we met with other parents. And one of the parents we met with was Matt and, and Jenny Jesse, who run the June Jesse Memorial Foundation here in St. Louis and do some amazing work with uh, neurocomplex kids. Mm-hmm. I said to Jenny over dinner, how after having June, June is their daughter, um, their firstborn who had a lot of medically complex issues. Did you have the courage to then have another child? Mm-hmm. And she said to me, Nick, like if it's a 25% chance that something's going to go wrong, it's a 75% chance that everything is going to be fine. So which chances do you want to live in? Yeah. And that really hit, right? Wow. I love that. Right. That right there from Jenny has always stuck with me. Right. And I use that in conversations 
just about everything in life, right? <laughs> But then we, we decided to have a, another child. And so we went through the emotions of all of that. We can tell stories about Jack's birth at another time because there's <laughs> some interesting stories around that too. But now watching Jack grow up, never having met his, his older sister, um, but being in, our, in an environment where Everly's talked about her pictures around, we have birthday parties. It, it's curious to see how Jack grows up and, and embraces that and what Everly's journey looks like through his eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, he's two right now. So we'll, we'll start seeing more of that, that journey uh, as he verbalizes that more here in the coming years. Yeah. And I think, you know, something that does, again, when you're in this community, it, it, it's easy to find whether, you know, resources or a community around like pregnancy after loss. But one of the things that I don't think is talked about is how the, pre- how the pregnancy after loss affects the other kids in the house. Mm-hmm. And we really saw that with Campbell, you know, as much as we needed reassurance that everything was going to be okay, right? That the chances of something being, not being okay with this pregnancy were low. She also needed that reassurance. For sure. And that's not something that I think a lot of people talk about, right? Is yeah. how do we support kids who have been through some sort of previous loss? Right. Because her, her experience is one little sister, one dad. Yeah. Right. right. And so she would ask us. She, I remember her sitting in my lap. The very first thing she said yeah. when we told her that we were having another baby right. was, is this baby going to die? Right. Yeah. No filter. Right. Yeah. Well, and you know, as a parent and gone, having gone through it, you can't say in certainty that no, nothing <laughs> bad will happen. I know. Right. I know. Right. Because the worst thing has already happened. And you can't, I mean, she would know that would be a lie. She would know it would be a lie. Right. No. And you exactly. couldn't do it anyway. You couldn't say it. <laughs> yep. right right and so I think that that's just another missing piece is how do we support kids through that experience um, yeah and, and, and parents and parents right as much as we're right we, you know we there are supports for mostly probably moms yeah <laughs> I have a feeling there probably aren't a lot of supports for pregnancy after loss for dads which is again probably a whole other podcast about <laughs> yeah. supports for dads it really does affect everyone and how yeah. the, your mental health through a pregnancy after loss is is a real thing and it's not just for the mom it's for the whole family yeah right i'm glad you brought that up yeah and we we gather with other parents and what we found in other parents is that sharing those stories not just about our kids but then how do you parent and how do you work through the grief how do you work through the good times mm-hmm. having that support and that's part of just our life is surrounding ourselves with other parents and being part of their lives so that we can have those conversations so as we kind of wrap up here, I do want to give a little bit of teaser for next yeah. week. Because so next week, we're going to speak with another amazing couple, Ben and Laura. Mm-hmm. And the four of you together started a wonderful organization called Just Enduring. And I feel like if I don't give you some of the credit for it now, <laughs> it's going to feel weird that it was all Ben and Laura next week. <laughs> But I do want you to talk about maybe a little bit about that and what that has meant to you personally to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, this this was our way and a lot of the things we talked about earlier, right, where we saw the gaps and we saw the missing pieces in our experience. Just Enduring has been our way to try to start to fill those gaps and to provide resources and supports where those where they're just non-existent, both to medical professionals and to parents. And I think for me, it's, we're still really early in the, in the process and still a lot of work to be done and things to happen, but it's been really a chance for us to 
another chance for us to talk about Everly on a regular basis and another chance to use her story and use our experience to make other people's experience just a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Um, Or normal, normalized. Yeah, Yeah, normalized, right. Exactly. So other parents feel like they are the the only person out there that's gone through this. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think it's just, you know, someone asked me recently, like, so one of the things we do is we try and connect parents who have experienced a loss with another parent or parents who have had a similar loss or experience just to, again, normalize it, make them feel like they're not so isolated and alone. And someone asked me, like, is it, is it hard to get all of those emails from parents about another child that has died and another baby that's died? And I was like, in some ways, yes, it is, of course, right? Like, I don't want to get an email that a child has died. But in another way, it's it's a chance for Everly to connect, even if it's not them connecting with us directly, it's it's her connecting with someone else's family. And it's her life and her story living on and living on in a way that we hope makes a really important impact on, on this community and um, yeah. the experiences people go through because it's gonna unfortunately happen yeah. yeah and ben and laura are some amazing people that we were able to partner with in this and while our stories aren't similar our experiences are mm-hmm. and so to be partnered with them and then ken and allison remy who are an amazing people um ken's a physician and allison is a former uh, palliative care uh worker and their experience is brought into this so the the j in just enduring is jackson and the e in, in enduring is oh. everly So we were able to not just put something together that made sense, because what do you call an organization like this, but to really bring both of our kids into this and and you'll see a butterfly in the logo and Mm -hmm. orange throughout, which orange represents Jackson and the butterfly represents Everly. And note if those people watching the video, the orange butterfly behind (laughs) the right now. That's right. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's our tagline is loving and living after child loss. And that's really important for us, but it's also important for us to get that, to help people see that message, right? Because in those first weeks, months, it's hard to think that you will ever, that you'll be able to continue to live, Mm -hmm. let alone love and it it's possible mm-hmm. <laughs> i remember just a quick story right it was probably a couple of days after everly had passed we met with up with a friend who had lost their son he never left that he was in the NICU, had some complex issues at birth and they never actually left the NICU. and he gave me a hug and he whispered you're gonna survive this and i just secretly remember thinking <laughs> you're funny that's not possible yeah yeah you might have survived this but i'm not going to right like it's i I, I can't survive this. Right. There's something different about you, but it, I'm not surviving. That's this. why everyone always says that you're so strong, right? Because they can't imagine yeah. sure. like, oh, there must be something really amazing about you because you can make it through yeah. this, but like I, me, no. Right. I thought in that moment and, and, and we want people to, to hear that message that you can and you will survive this. Your life is going to look different Yeah, and, and that's okay. Yeah but you'll survive and you'll be able to love and live after this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much. I look forward to part two with Ben and Lara, but I loved hearing about you and hearing about Everly and so appreciate you talking to us today. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank thank you. you for letting us tell her story and share more about her. for listening. If you found this helpful or would like to support the podcast, please leave a five-star rating and comment. 
To help financially, you can text Andy's Mom to the number 53555 or visit the donate page on andysmom.com. Your donations are secure and tax deductible, and we are now able to accept Venmo, PayPal, and Apple Pay. Always Andy's Mom is a registered 501c3 organization and can receive donations through smile.amazon.com, Thriving Financial, and Benevity, amongst others. Marcy loves hearing from listeners. Please feel free to reach out to her via email at marcy at andysmom.com. Also, be sure to sign up for the email list to receive weekly updates as well as pictures of all of Marcy's guests and their children. Together, let's work to inspire hope one day at a time.